Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at newbalance.com. You got to ask, you know, push Good morning, afternoon, evening, brunch time, lunch time, baseball time in Tennessee time. That was a big weekend time. Uh, coaching staff in football taking a dent time. That's okay. I don't think it's the end of the world time. We'll talk about that later time. Uh, a little push and pee in Fayetteville time, where I guess... He got pushed by Arkansas time. I don't really know how to phrase that time. Rough weekend for hoops time. Charge time. Whatever time of day it is, boys and girls, it's the right time for the Go Vols 24-7 podcast. Wes Rucker coming to you from Fort Rucker Studio here on a pleasant, uh, a pleasantly pleasant Monday afternoon here in God's Own Knoxville, Tennessee at Fort Rucker Studio, just a couple of miles away uh, from Thompson Bowling Arena, which is sort of near where Grant Ramey is right now. We normally go down to the Govals 24-7 Blount County Satellite Office in Merville, but today we're going to go to Grant when he's actually uh, on campus. So uh, how about that, Grant? How how go things over there? Let me let me unmute myself. Uh, things have gone. It, it's, uh, it's the actual we're, we're kind of getting to the other side of the grind of basketball season where you can actually see March and you can start to look at brackets and look at potential seating and, and try to materialize and come up with what needs to happen to finish where and when you're going to be playing in the SEC tournament and who you might be playing. So now now's the time uh, where it really gets fun. Yeah, and I think we can somewhat safely say that uh, the, the top four seeds – uh, or the teams, the four teams that will get the buys almost look set at this point. I believe there's four games left in the regular season, and there's a three a three game gap uh, between Tennessee and Arkansas, uh, which are tied for third. Uh, and then the teams down there at fifth have at least seven losses each. So looks like there's a three game gap there. Tennessee gets to play at Missouri tomorrow, which is never an easy game, but certainly a game you would think uh, Tennessee uh, should should be able to tough out a win. Tennessee also gets to uh, play Georgia, which should not be uh, a terribly difficult game. But we've said that before. Georgia's got a horrible record, but it has scared some teams this season. Uh, very nearly beat Auburn. Was unlucky to beat Auburn. So Tennessee's got a lot uh, to to play for, and it looks like it's going to be a top four seed uh, for that double bye in the SEC tournament. But there, there's a lot about the weekend that was frustrating. Uh, I, I, I was just sitting as a neutral observer pulling my hair out with, with some of those offensive calls, offensive foul calls. We'll talk about that in the second segment. That's just absolutely ludicrous. There, there was, you know, I'm sure Grant will be more muted about it than I am, but I just, it's, it's infuriating to watch uh, two of the SEC's best and most exciting basketball teams, therefore two of the better and most exciting basketball teams in the country anywhere, 
play a game that was so thoroughly unwatchable, uh, and I don't think the players are fully to blame for that. So we'll talk about that later. Uh, we'll also uh, talk a, a lot of uh, a, a lot of football uh, that we're going to talk about primarily in the second segment with Tennessee wide receivers coach Cody Burns going to the NFL. Uh, certainly a move that I think a lot of us can understand. That's a, a different world uh, and uh, a world where you can just kind of coach and chill. Uh, not chill, but you don't have to go recruit. It's, it's a different lifestyle. And I think that that's something that uh, would appeal to a lot of people, uh, including Cody Burns. So I, I think we'll see what Tennessee does there. We'll have plenty more to discuss there in the second segment. Uh, before we do that, just a, a quick, quick reminder that uh, baseball season for Tennessee started over the weekend. And I, I was at two of the three games. I did not go to Saturdays because it conflicted a little bit with basketball. Uh, but Tennessee hosted uh, Georgia Southern, Tony Vitello's Vols. Uh, pretty dominantly dispatching the Eagles. If you remember last season, Tennessee opened the year. You know, Tennessee closed the year in the College World Series, but Tennessee opened that season going down to Georgia Southern and having to fight tooth and nail to get a three-game sweep. Uh, this weekend in Knoxville, not like that at all. Tennessee swept Georgia Southern with relative ease. The Vols trailed briefly in the second game, but uh, they, they won all three games comfortably with a final margin of 33-3, to and they did that despite not having Blade Tidwell or uh, Seth uh, Halverson out there on the mound. Uh, the Vols threw two freshmen uh, in those two two freshmen and one sophomore in those three games as starters. All of them threw at least ninety five miles an hour. Two of the three threw uh, ninety eight to ninety nine miles per hour. The Vols brought some one hundred mile an hour heat out of the bullpen, uh, and they hit six home runs. Uh, and in the third game, they scored. Uh, 14 runs without the ball leaving the yard. Uh, there was one, I guess you could say, ground will double from Drew Gilbert, but uh, the, the Knoxville with the CKS, that's back. The Vols with power. Ball travels not as well in cold weather, but uh, it flew out of the ballpark all weekend and uh, a big weekend for those guys. We'll have plenty more time to discuss them uh, in, in later episodes, perhaps this week and certainly in weeks going ahead, but the, the Vols were ranked 16th in the polls. I, I think that will change. I think they will go up after that opening weekend, and I think they should because uh, they had a really, really, really dominant opening weekend. And when you can throw uh, freshmen, I mean, Tennessee on this staff has four guys who throw nearly 100 or at 100 miles an hour that they didn't have available last year. Uh, they have a lot more swing and miss stuff. Uh, they, they do have some pop in the lineup. Trey Lipscomb is a guy who's been good enough to start for four years, and he's finally getting the chance. Lots to like about the Tennessee baseball team, and we will have plenty more to discuss about them moving forward. But we will start, I suppose, with basketball. It is very near March Madness. It is very near that time of year. Uh, Tennessee went down to Bud Walton Arena on Saturday with a matchup of grand of two of the, the hottest teams probably in all of college basketball when you look at the way they've played for the past couple, uh, probably at least for the fat past five or six weeks or so. And we, we thought it might be a fun game. I thought Tennessee would lose. I think most people thought Tennessee would lose uh, just because that's a tough place to go play. Uh, was not happy with the way the game unfolded, though, 58-48, to 48, and it was just awful to watch, wasn't it? I mean, yeah, going in with, with Tennessee having the defensive numbers they have, with Arkansas having the defensive numbers they have, with, with Tennessee's offense prone to have some days where they shoot the way they did Saturday at Fayetteville with, you know, the fact that they haven't won there since 2009 for very good reason. 
Um, Bud Walton Arena is one of the toughest environments, I think, in the country, uh, at yeah. least for, that I've seen firsthand. Mm-hmm. Um, the, that basketball fan base uh, is legit. Uh, they love the game. And, and, and when, when that place is full and rocking, um, it's a special place to be. Now, given that it was a, obviously a close game with, what, seven, eight, nine minutes left, mm-hmm. despite all the foul trouble problems that existed and the shots not falling. So, to be honest, I expected Tennessee to go down there and, and lose worse than they did just because of how well Tennessee had played uh, the month previous, how they were overdue for just a bad day at the office, um, how they had just come off an emotional Kentucky win a few days before that. So to go there, to deal with the foul trouble, to shoot the way you did, and to still really have a chance to win it pretty late in that game. I mean, it was a 7-0 Arkansas run that decided it, and that was it. I mean, Tennessee just couldn't find a bucket down the stretch. So I think there are uh, I think it could have been a lot worse uh, for for ways for which it could have played out. Uh, the, the officiating's frustrating, but at the same time, Jalen Williams is going to do what he's done. He's drawn like 40 of those charges. Um, at some point, you have to realize if I'm driving at this guy and if I leave my feet and he slides in front of me, this officiating crew is going to give him that call, and I think you have to go away from that. But uh, I guess by the time Tennessee tried to – I don't know. It, it was too late by the time Tennessee could do anything about it uh, with Kennedy having his third foul at halftime and uh, the way the second half unfolded the way it did. So uh, I think, honestly, it, it was not pretty to watch. I think it could have been a lot worse. Yeah, the, there's. I wrote the column after the game, and, and, and I stand by that, saying that the, you kind of have to walk and chew gum at the same time to, to break down that game, and in my opinion anyways. Uh, feel free to disagree, Grant. But I, I think there are there are two – two different lines of thought that are of equal importance. Uh, and I guess uh, since we talked about the charges, we'll mention that part of it first. I, I understand that Jalen Williams, it's sort of like, you know how good John Fulkerson is at charging, uh, you know, getting getting charge calls? He's like in a different universe from that. That's how good he is at it. And you have to understand that. But what I don't understand at all is that, he's very clearly sliding under a player who has already left his feet. And I I don't know, like, officials make charges more of a 50-50 call than they should be. I'm on Team Jay Bills with that. I think, you know, the the state's got to be able to prove its case, and I think the state is the defense there. When when you're in doubt, it's it's either a block or it's a no call. I, I think charge should not be almost the default setting. I think referees just, they love making that charge sign. They just love doing it, right? They get a couple hops in there. They, they do the charge and they point the other way. I, I, I don't think it helps basketball for it to be officiated like that. I don't think it's good for the game. I think it takes the players who usually have the ball in their hands and, and drive the ball to the hole, the guys who a lot of people come to watch, it takes them out of the game. I mean, Tennessee had four guys with four fouls with like eight minutes left in the game. J.D. Note, Arkansas's best player, he fouls out of the game. He, he can only play like 24, 25 minutes. And you wonder partly why it's a 58 to 48 game, maybe because you've taken all the best scorers on the floor and you've neutered them completely with calls you didn't have to make. And that is, as someone who understands what's out there and how many options that we have whether you're streaming or whether you still have cable or satellite whatever you have you know you can there are a million things to watch just in sports and many millions of other things to watch that are not sports and if you're having to choose between that kind of game and watching something else 
who could blame anybody for going to watch something else? It's not enjoyable unless you are a fan of either of those teams. I, I don't know why you, you would watch that. But beyond the 50-50 calls, which are normally infuriating, there were calls in that game that were not even close. I mean, Vescovy was given a charge when he was falling away from a player who wasn't whose feet were still moving. And, and uh, to me, there's no... There's no way that anyone could watch that game who actually loves basketball and be okay with that. I mean, Rick Barnes said after the game he hoped he felt differently, and it seems after he watched the film, Grant, he didn't feel any differently about it. No, and it it is ugly, um, the college basketball game at times, borderline unwatchable at times, depending on how it's being officiated, depending on which two teams are playing. Obviously, a little bit of a perfect storm Saturday with Arkansas with the way that game was officiated. Uh, and the two teams you had on the floor. And you know what? I watched the All-Star game, the NBA All-Star game Sunday night. I watched uh, basically all of All-Star weekend for the NBA. Um, It's a pointless game. It doesn't matter. Nobody plays defense. But the reason I watch it is because shot-making and offense and how much fun is had and just how crazy it is to watch. I think, to your point, you want your best players on the floor for both teams. Uh, If you're you're wanting to put a good product on the floor, you want uh, as many points scored as you can. I think there's a reason why – fans feel better about their team after a 90 point game than a 48 point game. Even if you are elite on the defensive end and holding another team to 58, I mean, that's just the way it is. You're, you're more inclined to appreciate the offense than you are the defense, but I don't know. College basketball officiating has been an issue for so long now that it feels like there's been a tension there to try to fix it, but it feels like they're not fixing it at all. Rick Barnes said today during his press conference that he did not feel any different when he watched those calls on tape. He, he obviously disagreed with, with the way they were called on Saturday. He disagreed with them. Uh, on Monday, um, he said, yeah, you should probably give that uh, advantage to the offensive player when it is that block charge situation, uh, at least a little bit more than the defense gets it now. But at the same time, if, if it's been harped on for this long and nothing, nothing's better, I just don't see how it's going to change or if there's ever going to be some sea change where it just completely does a 180 and, and the officiating at the college level gets better. Now, Rick did say in fifteen sixteen when he got to the league, the SEC, he said it was about, quote, as bad as you could imagine. And Conzo, um, Conzo Martin said the same thing. Conzo Martin said that it was better in the Valley than it was in the SEC. Right. And, and Rick Rick also said with, with Greg Sankey and with Mike Trangazi and, and Dan Leibovitz and, and those guys that are running the league and, and specifically running men's basketball, that it has gotten a lot better, uh, markedly better from then until now. I just – I don't know how quickly you can make it better. There's just going to be games where um, – you know, it feels like that's what basically what Rick said today is there's going to be games where it feels like you don't get any of the calls and then maybe over time it evens out where I guess if you go back to the Kentucky game, I'm sure Kentucky fans would say that Tennessee got all the calls. So I don't know. It's it's just frustrating when that's the main talking point coming out of a game. That's the last thing you want as an official. That's the last thing you want as a player, or as a coach or just anybody watching the game. The last thing I'll say about it, because we got a lot to squeeze in this episode. But but I have to I have to mention this. I, I think to your point, Grant, I agree that it seems like they're trying a, a lot of things to to make this better. What they're not doing though is giving us new faces. Uh, they're they're keeping a vast majority of these guys have been doing this for at least ten years, some twenty, thirty years or longer. And the thought behind doing that is that the, the SEC and, and the NCAA claims that they you know that they they have reports on these guys they look at things they 
ha- kind of have their own system of how they handle it. Um, and they think these guys are, are the best that they have available, which, uh, okay. But what bothers me is one of the biggest reasons for keeping some of those veteran officials who are a bit long in the tooth and, and maybe aren't in the, in the same shape they were, you know, maybe, maybe slipping a little bit here and there. The argument is they keep control of a game and they don't let home crowds affect them. But they obviously still let home crowds affect them. There are calls Tennessee gets in Thompson Bowling uh, that are like the calls Arkansas gets in Bud Walton and that Kentucky gets in Rupp Arena. And if you're going to say that you want the veterans out there because they can handle that situation better, show me them handling the situation better. They're just not doing it. And I know that I talk about officials about 100 times more than most people who do this for, for work. But to me, it's it's like we can either keep talking about it or we can throw our hands up in the air and say it just can't get better. And I I refuse to believe that. I cannot believe that it that it can't get better. And, and that is – that's why I do. That's why I say it the way that I do because I, I just—it's nothing against any of these men and women personally. I just—I refuse to believe that you know. Maybe it's the same as like you know, you're a fan of like the Jacksonville Jaguars and like they never win, but you're like, I believe that it can be better than this. You just have to believe that it can be better than this, and I think it it, it can be it can be better than this. But nonetheless, Grant, the other thing that we have to talk about with this is. Tennessee's offense. Now, Tennessee's offense gets more difficult when you can't play Candy Chandler for the first eight minutes of the second half because he got two bad charge calls on him late in the first half. Those things happen. Um, But the fact is, Tennessee, again, instead of barely cracking 50 points, did not even crack 50 points in a game. And all of these games where Tennessee has done this, I guess with the exception of Villanova, have been games where Tennessee still very, very definitely could have won those basketball games. And on one hand, I got to say, it is impressive when you step back and look at it that Tennessee does not let these bad, horrible offensive games affect its defense. Tennessee is playing great defense in these games. It's not easy to hold Arkansas to 58 points. It's really not easy to do that. They got guys who can score. They like to run. They, they, they can rim run. They can do things. They can hit shots, especially at Bud Walton. Tough to do that. Uh, just like it's kind of tough with, with Texas Tech and, and with Texas and you know some of these other games where they've done this. And that is something that is impressive because it's not easy to keep playing defense that well when you're not playing offense. But if you had just not been completely terrible on offense, you would have won all of those games except Villanova. It just would have taken a couple more shots. And I can't understand how when things go this bad for Tennessee, they don't get better. And that is something that going into March is the reason why I don't think you'll see a lot of people picking Tennessee to go really, really far in that tournament because – at some point, everybody has a game where you hit a wall, and when Tennessee hits a wall, it doesn't go through it. Well, first of all, clarify what's really far in the tournament. What what kind of context are we talking? Well, I mean, if you're if you're uh, if you're right there, it's like the number twelve team ranking Ken Palm and the metrics and the net ranking have you up there around the top ten. You should be expected to be at least a Sweet Sixteen team. 
Okay, I can get on board. This is a conversation I was having yesterday, so we'll dive right in. The, the First of all, the caveat with the officiating, you can complain about the officiating until you're blue in the face, but when you shoot 27.1% from the field and Santiago Viscovi had a, has wide open of a three look as you're ever going to get in the corner, he couldn't make it. I mean, shots just weren't falling for that team for whatever reason. It was just another one of those Texas Tech, you know, whatever games where they just – every it's like they miss a shot and it's contagious and everybody misses a shot. But the kind of the other side of the coin here is Tennessee's lost seven games this season. And the way they lose some games absolutely makes Tennessee fans tear their hair out. And I can, I can you know, I can see why. Um, because when they do, it's like a, it's like the Texas Tech game or it's like the Arkansas game or it's, it's even worse. It's like the Kentucky game or the Villanova game. But at the same time, those seven losses, they have zero back-to-back losses this season, which tells me they're pretty good at bouncing back uh, and not staying too down at one time. Also, those seven teams they've lost to are currently in the Ken Palm top 20. I mean, they haven't not had a bad day at the office, like a bad, bad loss. Like, they didn't go to Vandy and lose. You know, they didn't – you know, some of these – like, they didn't go to Florida and lose like Auburn did over the weekend. Um, so, that's one thing. I think – because I think the ceiling on this team, in my opinion, is the second weekend in the NCAA tournament, whether that's the Sweet 16 or the Elite Eight, depending on how well they can play in March and how the matchups and all that stuff happen. But – so far, they haven't lost any first weekend teams. Whoever they would be matched up against the first weekend is not going to be anywhere near the Ken Palm top 20, let alone probably the top 50. So I think as, as bad as this team has looked at times, as good as this team has looked at times, they handle their business in games they're supposed to win, and they're still pretty competitive even against elite opponents. Yeah, it's not great that you've lost seven games against top 20 opponents, but at least they're top 20 opponents. And you also have a win over number two in the Ken Palm. Uh, ratings in Arizona, you have a win over number three in the Ken Palm ratings in Kentucky. So I think it's still, as much as it drives you crazy sometimes watching this team, I think they're still a very good team that's shown pretty consistently they're going to beat the teams they should beat now. That sets you up perfectly for a face plan at Missouri on Tuesday or at Georgia next week uh, as they kind of, or, or you know, don't speak it into existence, but a face plant in the round of 32 against a, uh, a sister gene kind of team. So but the point is, the point I'm trying to make, the long-winded point is, this team has beat good teams, and, and they have yet to have a really bad loss. Yeah, I, I would counter that before we go to break by saying that I, I think it's... Tennessee has days where it can't make shots, uh, and, and that's just sort of been the thing this season. But I do think if you peel behind... If you peel a couple layers off that onion you do find a couple of common denominators. I think about Villanova, and I think about Arkansas, and I think that if you're Tennessee and you're not making shots, what does any team do when it is told when it can't make perimeter shots? Put the ball on the deck, force the ball inside, get to the rim. Well, against Villanova, you had those couple early charge calls on, uh, on Chandler that were not good. Uh, and then you had three on them in the first half against Arkansas, and you had a bunch of other charge calls. If you're not making shots, but then you're terrified that every time you put the ball on the floor and go toward the rim, you're going to get a charge call, you're not going to score a lot of points. So I think the two are connected in some way because the natural thing to do is to go put the ball on the deck and go score. But if you if that's going to be a charge every time you do that, how are you going to score? Well, what do you have to do? you got to stay there, and you got to keep shooting jump shots. And if they're not going to fall, you're not going to score points. And, and so I think I think the two things are actually pretty connected in some ways, and that's another reason why I talk about it a lot is because 
I agree that there's no excuse for just missing that many shots, but sometimes as a basketball team, you have days where you're not going to make a lot of shots. Um, and, and you have to be able to score in different ways. This team doesn't have a consistent inside presence. Uh, it just doesn't. And, and when, when that's the case, you got to put the ball on the deck and your guards got to go attack the rim. And they got to either finish or they got to dump off to the big men who can at least dunk the ball when they're open down there. So that puts you in a tough position um, when, you're, when you're in those spots. So I don't know, Grant, I don't know exactly how you overcome that on a day where you're having a hard time making shots but you also can't attack the rim. I mean, you, you're going to need a John Fulgerson to, to give you what he gave you against Kentucky or to give you what he gave you um, the game before that. It slips in my mind who they played um, at this point in the season. I mean, they need that, that 12, 14 points from him on nights when shots aren't falling. They need him to, to be productive, re- consistently reliable down there to be able to give them something because they simply don't have any – else. Jonas Hyde is a great story, and he's a great rim protector, and he's been a good rebounder. He's not the offensive guy right now that's going to give you consistent points. Uros Plavsic has, has, you know, looked decent at times. He had a pretty good run of two, three weeks there where he was uh, pretty productive in the post, but he's fallen off the face of the planet. And Brandon Huntley-Hatfield keeps starting, but playing like nine, ten minutes and, and really doing nothing uh, to speak of. So, I mean, they're, they're going to have to find something down there um, – as the season goes on or, or what's left of the season before it goes into March and the postseason, just find somebody that can give you something. Um, it doesn't have to be a ton, but just something uh, when those, when those days happen, when shots aren't falling. Cause I mean, yeah, you're right. In, in March, if, if you get a Colgate, a team that can't miss like Tennessee faced in 2019, uh, it wouldn't have been hard to lose that game uh, or Iowa uh, two days after that, when, when they came back the way they did in that game, if, if you get a team that can't miss, in the first two rounds against this Tennessee team, if they have a bad day at the office, then yeah, it, it could be set setting up for some more bad news. Yeah, and and you try to go, um, you know, with Plovsic, you know, it's hard to have him in the game when you know free throw shooting is going to matter down the stretch. Um, but I went back because because when Barnes made that comment, he said, "Listen, we needed an inside presence in that game. We just had to have one." Um, that sort of bears out when you look at the plus-minus numbers where Plovsic had, I think, the the tied for the best plus-minus on the team. Uh, so he did miss those four free throws. Those were costly, uh, and I think it's tough to have him in there when you need free throws. But at the same time, Tennessee statistically was better, a lot better when he was on the floor than when he wasn't. So uh, that's tough because I, I, I would blame the coaches for having him out there when you know you're going to need some points. Um, but at the same time, over the course of the game, they were better when he was out there. So it, it's kind of tough sometimes. Sometimes the numbers give you two different stories. But anyways, that's a lot to chew on. Tennessee goes down to – this is actually former coach week here for the Vols. Uh, they will host – or they will go play Conzo Martin's Missouri Tigers on the road Tuesday, and they will come host Bruce Pearl and his Auburn Tigers uh, on Saturday. And what's interesting is the Vols are still – you know, the Arkansas game would have changed things completely – um, but right now, Tennessee is still two games behind first and uh, one game behind second in the SEC standings. So there is a lot that could happen the next couple of weeks, and we will have plenty more to discuss about that, I, I assume, here uh, on Thursday. Lots more to discuss, but but we are overdue for a break. we got to step away, pay some bills, listen to products, services, in-house ads, et cetera, and then we'll come back and we'll talk about Tennessee football uh, with an assistant coach leaving. The staff will not be completely intact going into next season. There will be at least uh, one change, it seems, so we'll discuss that when we come back here in just one minute. Hashtag ad. Money! This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, 
You call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome back to the Go Vols 24-7 podcast, brought to you by whatever products, services, and in-house ads you just heard from a second ago during that commercial break. Wes Rucker coming to you from Fort Rucker Studio. Grant Ramey coming to you from uh, even closer to University of Tennessee's campus, sort of right there uh, after the Vols had some basketball stuff uh, available to the media on Monday afternoon. Uh, We talked a little bit of Tennessee baseball and a lot of Tennessee basketball in the first segment. We're going to talk a little bit more Tennessee football here in the second segment. Um, So there's plenty more to get to. But before we do that, just a quick reminder, guys, if you could, and a quick quick request, you could say, please take about a minute out of your day right now. Please go in there and rate and review this, this podcast. Please hit that subscribe button on this podcast. If you're just listening on the website, there's nothing wrong with that, guys. We love you. There's no wrong way to consume this podcast. And, and later on down the road, you'll have a video component, too, uh, of this podcast uh, for, for those of you who want to see our faces. I, I don't know why you would, but there are people who like those sorts of things. So we will have that coming to you in the future as well. Plenty more of that hashtag content uh, for you. And there's no wrong way to consume this podcast. If you're just on the website, there's nothing wrong with that. We love you. But what really helps us out is if you go in there on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, uh, Google Podcasts, iHeart, TuneIn, Stitcher, anywhere in the world, you can cast the fine pod. You can find this very Go Vols 24-7 podcast. We do this for free, and we are happy to do it. It's a labor of love. It's no trouble on our end. So please, please go help us out. Please do the one thing that we're going to ask you for, the one series of things, uh, which is to rate and review and subscribe and tell your friends. If you're already doing that, thank you. We love you. If not, go yourself. That's the motto. That's that's where it is. So that lets you know where we stand. Uh, you're, you're either you're ride or die with us. You're ride or die. That's what we appreciate. Grant, Tennessee football, for people who thought it would be sort of a, you know, sort of a, I don't want to say a quiet offseason, um, but but a, a good positive sort of, you know, good vibes only postseason. Everything comes back. Everything's all hunky-dory. Uh, everybody will be back. Uh, not so much going to be the case. Tennessee will lose at least one assistant coach, it seems. Uh, Cody Burns is going to the National Football League to coach uh, wide receivers down there in Nolens, I believe. Uh, what, are your, what are your thoughts on that, your, your first, your 30,000-foot view, uh, 30, view on that on that decision? First of all, knock on wood about a quiet off season. This is this is still quiet. Let's let's not be mistaken. Uh, j- just think about where you were, what thirteen months ago, and, and what could be happening. So don't 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 speak it yeah, into existence. I, the things you crazy. I would outside. I would knock on wood right now, but that'll make Gus think the door has been someone's at the door, and then he'll go nuts. So I can't. I, I'm metaphorically knocking on wood right now. I mean, I don't think you can hear a cat meow on a podcast, but but yeah. I think it's a good thing. Anytime. 
the NFL comes calling for one of your assistant coaches. I think that's a, you know, there's very limited jobs in that league uh, and for a reason, and it's really hard to get one. It's very hard to keep one with the amount of turnover that there is in that league. So to get a job, to get poached by an NFL staff, I think that's a, an NFL franchise. I think that's a compliment to Cody Burns and, and what he can do and what people see in him. I think also at the same time, it's a, it's an opportunity for Josh Eiffel to, to strengthen his staff. When you have an, when you have an opening, uh, you probably have a list of candidates in your mind as a head coach as who you'd want to add to your staff or how you'd want to reshuffle or, or whatever you would want to do. And, and if they are just uh, a lack-for-lack replacement, hiring a wide receivers coach, then, you know, which which job is more appealing than this one kind of in college football because your wide receivers are going to put up huge numbers because Josh Heifel's offenses just put up huge numbers kind of year in and year out. I mean, for him to come to Tennessee and put up the numbers he did in year one, uh, I think that bodes extremely well for the future, and I think that makes it extremely, um, uh, I guess, an easy selling point to candidates uh, at wide receiver, uh, wide receiver coaches, I should say, to come here and just to be a part of that and to coach these wide receivers up and to help put up numbers in this offense the way they do. That is, if they just hire a wide receiver coach to replace Cody, I think you have a lot to sell there. Yeah, I do too. And I think, you know, I, I haven't had a lot of time to talk to a lot of people today about this. This is relatively fresh news, obviously, breaking Monday morning. I think we should credit uh, Pete Thamel from ESPN. I believe he was the first to report it, so credit there to Pete. I, I think that um, – the way that I've understood it is that I think Tennessee would like to just hire a wide receivers coach and and keep everybody else in their current position, but there's a lot of flexibility on that staff. Jerry Mack uh, could easily move from running backs to wide receivers, and then they could hire a running backs coach. So, so there are different options or different ways that you can go about that, um, but I, I do think it's important – uh, if you're you're going to hire a wide receivers coach, I think it's really important to hire a wide receivers coach who has some sort of an experience playing uh, or coaching in a system like this one because it is very very different from most. So we've said this a lot, Grant, but but Tennessee there there's tempo, there's up tempo, and then there's crazy tempo, and then there's three or four layers. And on top of all that, that's the tempo at which Tennessee runs offense. Tennessee uh, leads the country, I believe, in, in, in plays per minute. Tennessee goes uh, like Ricky Bobby. He wants to go fast. And, and I think it's important to have someone who um, either has a really good football brain and can catch on to that quickly or has experience doing this because the way they do things from sort of the as quickly as they line up, as quickly as they run their routes – uh, the, the way that they know to, if you're so far downfield, just get out of bounds and let somebody else come in for you. They, they do things differently from a lot of other people. And they that pace, it's not like the offense is complex. The pace is what makes it what it is. It's not that it's simple. Um, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to deteriorate or diminish that. Uh, I don't want to yuck their yum, so to speak. But it's not that it's like overly complex. The pace is is what makes it what it is. I think you got to find someone who has some experience with something like that, right? For sure. You don't think they should go get the Air Force wide receivers coach or yeah, the Army d- wide don't, coach? don't know what kind of fit that would be. They would have discipline for sure, but uh, yeah. Well, I mean, the good news is college football year in and year out gets faster and faster. I mean, we're obviously the game over the last, you know, X number of years has moved drastically towards what kind of Josh Heifel's doing in terms of the spread and the pace and the up-tempo and the never stop and the never huddle and the, you know, go as fast as you can, as many plays as you can, all that stuff. So I think that kind of widens your 
um, uh, the field of candidates you could have, or, or maybe there's a, there's a short list that he already knows of because that's just kind of how coaches work. Sometimes they kind of have a guy, uh, their eyes on people that they potentially want to work with in the future. And, and maybe that's the case here. I don't know. Um, but uh, yeah, that's, that's number one is, is somebody that knows the pace of this thing, or at least can adapt to the pace of this thing. Um, and is comfortable with that and can coach these wide receivers up in this system. Like, like I said, it doesn't feel like you have to do a ton uh, to coach these guys up because it is the scheme more so than anything and the, the pace and the tempo that it runs with that, that produces the numbers it does. Um, but at the same time, yeah, you, you're, you're going to have to be adaptable to go with this speed uh, and to be able to move this fast and to be able to kind of adapt that quickly and, and know what you're doing. I think that's going to be, you know, priority uh, number one, if not number one, uh, really far up there. Yeah, and I think there's a couple of important things to note with this, Grant. You've already mentioned one of them, which is that every opportunity or, or every change you have in your program is an opportunity to get better. It, it, it's not only an opportunity to keep the ship where it is and on its current trajectory. It's an opportunity to get better. And, and I've talked to uh, not Hypel specifically about this, so to to, to be fair – I don't know that he completely agrees with this, but a couple of coaches that I've covered in the past have said that they think an ideal situation is maybe anywhere from one to two changes on the staff per year. Uh, unless of course, you, you know, you're building a new staff or you're, you know, something on your offense or defense has been so bad that you have to, you know, just, just, you know, change the whole thing, do a hockey line change. Uh, it, in most years, you would like to have one or two fresh coaches on the staff because you don't want things to get stale. Uh, you, you want guys to come in with new ideas. And these coaches, you know, they, they go to camps throughout the offseason. They go visit other places. They visit NFL teams. They visit, you know, other people. They'll even watch high school practices and see what those guys are doing. They'll, they'll go all around the, the, the place to, to talk to guys about different offenses and different defenses and different special team systems. So you can freshen things up without having any new voices in the room. But I've talked to a lot of coaches in the past who have said they really like having the ideal situation being one or two fresh coaches a year <clears throat> because sometimes it's nice to just hear a different voice in the room. Uh, sometimes it's here – you know, it's good to have a new coach. For instance, you've always run this certain play the same way or this certain route. You get a new wide receivers coach in there, he can look at it and go, wait, why do you do it this way? Everybody in the room previously had just assumed that this was why they were doing something, and they didn't think it was a big enough deal to talk about it. But a new coach comes in and says, hey, wait a minute, guys, I used to do this at, at whatever Eastern State, and – I think that's way better than what y'all are doing here. And then you have a conversation and, and then you discuss things and then you might come up with a better way of doing something. So I think as long as it keeps, uh, obviously the receivers at Tennessee, the ones who, who I think liked playing for Burns more than they didn't, you know, it, it's tough for them. And that's part of it. Somebody has got to fall on that sword, but I think for the staff itself, having a new face or having a new idea can be a good thing. Yeah, you don't want a, a complete overhaul, but yeah, one to do changes I don't think is going to hurt anybody. I think especially in the context where you didn't run this guy off because he was terrible, you didn't fire him because he broke rules. I mean, he got a promotion, he got an NFL job, he went to get an NFL job. That's Nobody's going to blame him for doing that. That's, that's kind of a – can be a no-brainer move. I mean, if, if that's the career arc that you want to take, trajectory or, or path or whatever, I think I don't think anybody would uh, question that. I do think with Heupel, I mean – 
he's a year wiser. He's a year more experienced. I mean, he's a year into, uh, you know, how many things does he see differently as a head coach after a year in the SEC that he didn't see that he was blind to coming into this job just because he had never coached uh, as a head coach in the Southeastern Conference. Yeah, he'd been there as a coordinator, had some experience in the league previously, but as a head coach and assembling a staff and what you're looking for and what you need and, and how you need to compete. And, and when you say it's a it's a chance to strengthen your staff, that's not a, an insult to Cody Burns. It's not a shot at him. It's just the fact that you have an opening and you can try to improve your staff. That has nothing to do with the old guy. It just has something to do with moving forward, what you're looking for, what you think you might need. Uh, however you do that, if you if you shuffle your staff or you just hire uh, a wide receiver coach. So I do think, yeah, it, it's with, with Heupel having an experience in the SEC and kind of being a, a year wiser, year older, whatever, year more experienced in this league, it gives him a chance to, to get his staff better and, and like you said, uh, mix up the voices in the room a little bit and kind of hit reset a little bit. Yeah, I mean, obviously Cody Burns is regarded enough as a wide receivers coach that an NFL staff wanted him. So, the you know, the NFL is the highest level of the sport. It's the most innovative in some ways level of the sport. Um, it's obviously the, the, the most professional uh, uh, level of the sport. I know the XFL and others are, are coming, but, you know, it's obviously it's, it's, it's the, the tops of the tops. So I, I think that, that tells you that the, 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 man, the man can coach. Uh, however, um, I will, I'll say this, you know, if I had asked people about Cody Burns, the people that I spoke to, and, and I would have to go back and think about it, but the people that I talked to about Burns during his time at Tennessee, I would say that if I talked to three people, two of them would say really good things, and then one would say, nah, I think Tennessee could do better. So I, that's about normal. You know, to be honest, that that's about a normal level of because uh, very few people get 100 percent approval ratings. Very few. Um, but, you know, there were some people who thought they could do some things a, a little bit better. The position they they thought Jalen Hyatt could have, you know, could have had a better year last season in, in Callaway. And, you know, they, they pointed to maybe some things Burns could have done differently with them. Of course, I would say that the players themselves should be responsible for that more than anything. But, you know, they, they just they, those guys didn't have the years that, that people maybe thought they could have. Tennessee went with the vets and rolled with those guys and had success. But, um, you know, maybe this gives you an opportunity not just uh, as a coaching, not just as an X's and O's, but as a recruiter. Maybe you go get someone who – gives you a, another kick forward in recruiting because we know Tennessee needs that, right? It's Jimmy's and Joe's more than X's and O's at some point. And, you know, every time people ask me in the offseason about, you know, can is Tennessee ready to go up there and really compete with the Georgias and the Bamas? And I say, not, not really, no, because the talent level is so different. I mean, could they beat either one of them? Sure, in, in a one-off, but in terms of annually – competing at the top of the SEC right now. No, they got to pick up the pace in so many ways, even more so than they already have, if they want to get to that kind of level. Well, now you have an opportunity to go get a wide receivers coach or someone else for your offensive staff who is an absolutely ridiculous recruiter, someone who can bring in tons and tons of guys uh, for visits and get a couple of big-time commits every year. You know, maybe you can go get – I know things didn't end well – uh, with, with Brian Niedermeyer at Tennessee. And then, you know, that's going to be an ugly report probably when that comes out. But that guy got recruits. He found a way to go get recruits. You know, this is an opportunity to maybe go boost your recruiting staff, right? I mean, there's there's any different way. People think of, oh, shucks, that's sort of the default when you lose somebody. But if you're a winner, man, that's an opportunity. You think Nick Saban cries every year when like half his coaching staff leaves? No, he just goes out there and gets better. I'm still hung up on the 
nobody gets 100% approval rates. I mean, that's excluding present company, right? Yeah, that's like, I mean, I've never heard anybody say a bad Obviously. word about, about you, clearly. I mean, clearly. No one would ever in a million years say anything bad about you and your general grumpiness. Appreciate that. Just don't get my wife on the podcast. <laughs> yeah, I'll work on that. I mean, yeah, I, I agree 100%. I mean, recruiting in this league, as, as tough as it is, uh, there's always a chance to get better, uh, regardless of, of what's going on. There's always a chance to get better. And, and Saban's a perfect example. Loki, one of the, the craziest thing he's he's done, uh, besides all the national titles, besides all the college football playoff appearances, the, the title game appearances, the dynasty that he's created for the last, you know, going on, what, close to 15, 20 years now, is how much he's had to overturn his staff uh, every single year and, and how much every single year it's, it's, it's annually he's going to get guys poached, coordinators, everybody's going to get their shot. They're trying to hire the next Nick Saban, they get the, next, uh, the next guy that can build the next Alabama at whatever school is making that hire. So, yeah, there's always an opportunity and, and you can't run from it. you you gotta, you got to figure out a way to, to get your staff better uh, tomorrow than it was today or, or today than it was yesterday, whatever the case may be. And, and however you got to do that, if it's recruiting, if it's on-field development, you got to, you got to be able to be wise enough, smart enough to look at your staff, know what your weaknesses are. Uh, don't have blind spots and figure out a way to go out and address them. Yeah. And obviously, you know, we'll, we'll have more discussions on this later in the week uh, or as this goes on, uh, we'll probably by the next time we have a podcast, certainly we'll have a better idea uh, of what direction maybe Tennessee wants to go in. I think we'll at least have more information than we do now because this has just happened and we're all sort of working phones and trying to figure out what kind of place Tennessee might want to go with this. Of course, we talk about new ideas and fresh ideas. Anytime that you have an opening on the staff, the very first thing you do, and this is the very first thing I do with any sort of coaching search whatsoever, is – Find out who's the person making the decision, which in this case is Josh Heupel. If it were a head football coach, you'd go to the athletic director and the board of directors and those people. Uh, if it's a position coach, you're talking about the head coach and the offensive coordinator being the guys who make that decision. So at the end of the day, you start with guys they already know, guys they've worked with. Uh, we talk about new ideas, but hey, I mean, these coaches can be incestuous in some way. So someone that you work with, someone that you know, is often the first place that you start or someone who has experience uh, having success at the position in a system comparable to yours at a level comparable to yours. So those are the places naturally to look at first. So we'll start putting those lists together. We'll see what Tennessee wants to do. I mean, some coaches even just elevate a grad assistant and then go hire a different grad assistant if, if they like what they're doing that much. So there are alternatives out there. There are plenty of candidates uh, as Grant said at the very beginning, Grant does a very good job of saying in two words what I say in 100 words. Tennessee, wide receiving, that's a big-time position for what Tennessee does, and that's a big-time position for a coach to have guys put up ridiculous numbers and get himself paid and get himself to be a coordinator or a head coach in the future. And, and that's something that – this will be a very attractive position you know, for – for anyone out there in the market. If you want to coach wide receivers, this is a really fun place to do that. This offense, this system, this is a good place to do that. So I don't think there will be a shortage of, uh, of, of candidates in that way. I think Tennessee uh, will, will have some – there will be some interest in this position. I imagine that, that right now Heupel and, and Golish and those guys, I imagine their phones are going off pretty quickly with, hey, you know, just in case, you know, I, I, you want to give me a call, I'd, I'd like that. Or agents being like, hey, 
they're calling Heupel's agents and saying, hey, put this guy on your list. I imagine that stuff's happening quite a bit today with all this going on. So uh, at the end of the day, uh, congratulations to, uh, to Cody Burns. I know a lot of guys like working in the NFL more than they do college. That's less recruiting, more time with the family. Uh, and NFL football is pretty cool. So there, there's lots and lots of things to like about that for him. Uh, so, so congratulations to him. Good luck to him. And we will see uh, what Tennessee does moving forward. But granted, has been a pretty quiet offseason. Knock on wood. Knock on wood. Knock on wood. Knock on wood. Thank you. And Godspeed to Cody Burns. Because if I lived in New Orleans, I would weigh roughly 500 pounds. I, w- I mean, I would eat nonstop. Just, I, just a heads up. You would just, pretty good you food would just, in New Orleans. You would just run three times as much. I doubt that. I would probably eat three times as much and call it a day. <laughs> I, I think um, – I think there was a lot to cover in this one, uh, this episode. And I think that if I was being fair, I could have done more talking about the baseball team at the beginning of the podcast. But there was, uh, there's some big hoops news. There's obviously big, big football staff change. And baseball has just started. So there are another few months uh, of that season where we'll be able to talk about those guys and talk to those guys. We'll have some on the podcast. Uh, you can go back to the most recent thing in our feed, which is the a one-on-one with Tony Vitello going into the season. So there's lots and lots of baseball stuff there. I, I think we talked about most of the basketball stuff we need to talk about. I think we discussed the football stuff. Uh, am, am I missing anything, Grant? Am I missing? Am I missing something? Uh, baseball has a pink uh, and a, to go with the pink daddy hat for home runs. What did they add? A fur coat? Yeah, uh, it looked like Michael Scott at Burlington Coat Factory. That's a big deal. Yeah, the leopard fur coat. And by the way, did you see Evan Russell's quote on that? I did not. Uh, Evan Russell was asked about, because, you know, I asked Trey Lipscomb that the, the first night, since he was the first one to hit a home run, who came up with the coat. And he said, uh, quote, that's another Evan Russell creation, end quote. Because uh, Evan Russell's the one who came up with the daddy hat last year, because he found it at the store and was like, ha let's use that. Uh, this year, he went out and got the, the coat, and he was asked, uh, where it came up with, and his answer was, uh, uh, and I'm I'm paraphrasing here, but this is basically a direct quote. He said, uh, when I was a kid, I got into a fight with a bunch of leopards, and I came out on top. Some people call me Tarzan. Other people call me Evan. And, and that, oh. that, that, which in terms of quotes is, I mean, that's just, it's, that, that that's like a Wayne Chisholm level, you know, on a good day, Fulkerson level quote right there. There's a very, there's very little you can say in response to that. So yeah. Tarzan or Evan, it feels like either one's a compliment based yeah. on that story. And, and Tennessee, uh, Tennessee pitcher Chase uh, Dollander went out there against his former teammate, Georgia Southern. And there are things in baseball you get that you don't always get in other uh, sports in terms of like candid responses. Cause uh, you know, usually you would hear people saying nice things. And then we asked Dollander about it. Uh, or, or I went at that was the game I missed. I, I covered it just watching it like everyone else. But after the game, reporters who were there asked Dollander about it, and he said, "Yeah, uh, those guys don't like me very much. So I they really wanted to beat me today. <laughs> so it felt nice Whoops. to you know." He basically was like, "Yeah, those guys didn't like me after I left. I think they made that pretty clear." Uh, you're not always going to get those quotes in uh, in highly uh, manufactured football and basketball. So uh, that and and and. Uh, I'm not complaining about that. That's a good thing. You get a lot of honesty. And you get Ethan Smith saying that his Vanderbilt teammates probably weren't too thrilled with him leaving uh, to go from Vanderbilt to Tennessee, which if you know that baseball rivalry, you'll understand that. So, yeah, lots and lots of uh, of interesting things going on there. And, uh, you know, we talk about this a lot, but but there's like that Will Wade effect with LSU baseball, uh, or I mean with LSU basketball. 
on a much lower level because um, he's not that annoying and hasn't been proven to have done anything wrong in recruiting or anything like that. Um, but Vitello and his team are kind of like the LSU uh, basketball of SEC baseball, if that makes sense. Uh, they go out there. They, they are in your face. They are uh, combative. They are loud. They can be hostile. Their fans are hostile. And they don't care about that. They say basically – uh, this attitude is what has brought Tennessee baseball, you know, back from the dead, and this is their attitude going forward. So they're going to play hard, uh, but they're going to celebrate hard, and they're going to get on you. So uh, Tennessee fans love it, kind of like they were when Bruce was combative when he was Tennessee basketball coach and, and Lane when he was the football coach. Um, they, If you're combative like that and you win, people get behind you really quick. Just be you. Just be genuine. If, if that's you, then then be that person have fun with it. If that gets under people's skin, that's other people's uh, concern to, to, you know, they got to figure that out on their end. Uh, have fun. And if that gets under people's skin, so what? So be it. Uh, force the confrontation and see what happens. I love it. Also credit to Vitello for going like me and just not cutting his hair anymore. That's uh, yeah. his, his is getting, his isn't as long as mine, but it's, uh, it's getting there. So I don't, I don't, I don't listen, I'm going to say this as nicely as possible. I don't think you want to compare yourself to Tony Vitello. Oh, God, no. I'm just saying only in terms of hair length. That's it. Yeah, um, I bet. Fabio. Yeah, look at me over here. Uh, that's why I keep the, the fan blowing so it can just blow. For when we have the video <laughs> podcasts, and it can just kind of blow in the distance like that, and I can do, like, the duck it, face and it's everything. the Old Spice commercials. Yeah, basically. That's what it is. Grant, man, thanks for being here. I know there's a lot going on uh, today, you know, busy weeks, busy days for all of us with all the sports coming together around the same time. So uh, I'm going to ask you if you have anything else to say, but I'm guessing I know that answer. Nothing, I'm out. Yeah, appreciate it. Thanks, Grant. And if I can find that button, where is it? Where is it? Where are you? There you are. There it is. Now I can say thank you. Thanks to Grant for, for being here. But more importantly, he sucks. Thanks to y'all for listening to this edition of the Go Vols 24-7 podcast. You can find all of us on Twitter. I'm Wes Rucker 24-7 on Twitter. Grant Ramey is Grant Ramey on Twitter. Patrick Brown is P. Brown 24-7 on Twitter. And Ryan Callahan is Ryan Callahan 24-7 on Twitter. If you want just Tennessee news on your feed, nothing else, you can get that at twitter.com slash govols 24-7. You can also go to facebook.com slash govols 24-7. And you can get tons and tons of info there uh, throughout the day. Uh, We update that thing pretty much every hour uh, throughout the day, all all the day long, (coughs) every day. My voice is, is, is fading, but that's okay. I'm going to fight through it. If you want that best, most delicious East Tennessee Smoky Mountain spring water directly from the tap, go directly to GoVols247.com, the best site on all of Al Gore's internets for coverage of Tennessee football, football recruiting, basketball, basketball recruiting, Tennessee baseball, obviously with those guys. They got five games this week, so we'll have tons and tons of stuff there. For you, we got Lady Vols coverage with Maria Cornelius. Lady Vols have, have had a nasty injury there with, with Jordan Horton, had a tough weekend against Carolina, uh, as always, as everyone does. But tons and tons of stuff there with award winning Maria Cornelius, who covers all things Lady Vols for us all year. Uh, go Vols 24 7. We care about women's sports, we always have and we always will. And we are, we are not in any way avoiding saying that. That is who. Tennessee is. That is who we are at Go Balls 24-7. We got women's sports coverage all year, all the time. We got two forms that run around the clock, the checkerboard and the summit, where you can go 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and you can speak about Tennessee athletics, SEC athletics, college athletics, sports, 
basically anything you want in the world that is not political or religious in nature. You can go to the checkerboard or the summit 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and talk with thousands of Tennessee fans from across the globe, pretty much every time zone covered on the map. No matter what time of day it is, someone will be there, and usually one of us staffers will be there to discuss anything that you want. That is what that is about, and that is what we do. That and a couple fresh content items just about every single day, access to the best network out there, access to one of the best databases that you'll ever find, certainly in sports. Lots and lots of stuff that you get for less than the price of one mediocre lunch per month. And if you pay us that rate, which again, less than one mediocre lunch per month. You get access in perpetuity to Paramount Plus, the growing behemoth of a streaming platform that we have here at the CBS Viacom family. You get everything CBS has ever done commercial free. Uh, you get live sports, including Vol Sports, SEC Sports, clearly. Uh, March Madness, NCAA Tournament. Uh, you get World Cup qualifiers. You got champ UEFA Champions League, UEFA Europa League, Serie A, World Cup qualifiers from all over the globe. Guys, so much stuff. You get exclusive Hollywood shows and movies, some of the best stuff out there. You get access to, to CBS. You get access to the vaults of uh, MTV, BET, Nickelodeon, Smithsonian, Comedy Central. All of it. You get that for free. That's a $100 plus annual value for free. Yellowstone spinoffs, all those shows, 1883, Mayor of Kingstown, all of them are there. Go do it right now. If nothing else, guys, you should hear from us, uh, I guess, by Thursday. See you.